0: Hello and welcome to P4A's Let's Talk Rare, a monthly podcast from Partners for Access.
1: Bringing you the most important news, trends and discoveries in the world of orphan drugs and cell and gene therapy.
0: Join me, Georgie Rack.
1: And me, Owen Bryant.
0: To analyse these developments and what they mean to you.
1: Hello and welcome to P4A's Let's Talk Rare. I'm Owen Bryant, joined by Georgie Rack.
0: Hello and welcome everybody. Today we'll be talking to Dr. Alan Davidoff from Zortex Therapeutics.
1: And he's going to be talking us through um, a novel therapy they're developing for rare progressive kidney disorders.
0: They'll also be talking about their commercial plans preparing for NDA filing in the US and going for accelerated approval, but also their commercial plans for Europe.
1: And also throwing into the mix some corporate goals and milestones for the years ahead. So we're really looking forward to speaking to Dr. Davidoff. Unfortunately, I won't be able to make the interview, but my colleague Georgie Rat will be taking it.
0: Alan is president and CEO of Zorks Therapeutics. They are a late stage clinical pharmaceutical company who are dedicated to developing innovative therapies to improve the quality of life for patients with progressive kidney disease. So welcome, Alan. It's a pleasure to meet you.
1: Pleasure to meet you as well. Thank you for the opportunity to speak to your audience.
0: Brilliant. And uh, if you could just start off, tell me a little bit about yourself, Alan, and how you started your career in nephrology.
1: My academic beginnings are with a PhD in cardiovascular physiology and biophysics, studying heart and blood vessel and kidney function in the setting of congestive heart failure. Much of my academic career was spent on kidney transplant and heart transplant immunology to begin with and then as i moved into industry my first industry job was with cardiom pharma developing drugs for arrhythmia and for congestive heart failure that's where i was first introduced to the xanthine oxidase inhibitor class of drugs i was there for about 3 years one of the drugs happens to be on market in europe now vernicalin and at that time left because there were some opportunities in the stem cell world to start a company based on some discoveries that uh, pregnancy hormones might be beneficial in slowing or improving the recovery after a stroke so slowing the injury and improving the recovery i was there as chief scientific officer for eight years until 2013 when i started zortex therapeutics to try and address the substantial unmet medical needs. So we've been developing therapies very closely aligned with one enzyme, xanthine oxidase. And our name is an acronym for xanthine oxidase reducing technologies, Zortex, like Xerox. And we're really the beneficiaries of a lot of discoveries that happened in the early 2000s that showed a linkage, a disease access between a high circulating serum uric acid, weight gain, high blood pressure, metabolic syndrome, so the classic symptoms that you would see as pre-diabetes, and then the health consequences of diabetes. And so there is a linkage, a widely recognized linkage now, wasn't in the early 2000s, between high serum uric acid. And so I've been president and CEO of the company since that time. We're moving very quickly towards a phase three trial, and that's my uh, my experience and my legacy. Yeah.
0: Wow, what a distinguished career you've had. That sounds absolutely amazing and fascinating. So going back to Zortex and the company's vision, what is your vision for developing novel therapies for rare progressive kidney
1: disease? Our vision really ties very closely to the need for patients. Autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease is one of many rare diseases. The development of therapies is always hampered because of the small size of markets. And for us, knowing that the xanthine oxidase enzyme can be pathological when it's overexpressed and understanding through a variety of discoveries that it seems to play a role in diabetes but for our purposes more specifically in the rare disease autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease. We started to develop and build relationships and work with independent researchers who could look at this question more closely and we've definitely benefited from those relationships. One of the strong sets of relationships we have are with researchers at the University of Colorado in Denver The discoveries that they've made over the past two years now put this enzyme very succinctly in the kidney of animal models, rat and mouse, that are polycystic kidney disease animal models. And these animal models really do reflect the human case for autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease. That is a disease in individuals. In the United States, the number of individuals that are diagnosed is estimated to be about 160,000 individuals. This is a disease where A genetic change early in life or passed through families causes increased cyst formation in kidneys over time. So to put that in perspective, our kidneys are normally the size of our fist. For these individuals, by the time they reach middle age, 35 to 40, their kidneys are three-quarters of a liter in size. By the time they lose their kidneys, and about half of all individuals lose their kidneys by time they're 55, their kidneys can be as large as one, two, three liters or more and weigh you know up to 30, 40 pounds. So when you have an organ that's expanding that quickly, it can cause a lot of abdominal pain. It's a constant reminder that you have a progressing disease. And of course, that weighs heavily on a lot of individuals with PKD. It's interesting to note that these individuals also have issues with their liver. So about 40% of individuals have liver cysts. Many of these individuals, about 10%, have aneurysms as a result, neurological aneurysms. Again, to put that in perspective, the normal incidence in a healthy population is about 0.9%. So one in 100 individuals will have an aneurysm over the course of their lifetime. If you have polycystic kidney disease, that number rises about tenfold. So it is a big concern and it's something that physicians often take note of in that population. So, very much a population that's in need, very few therapeutic options. One of them is a drug called Tolvaptin. It slows the growth of cysts in kidneys and has a mild effect on slowing the progression of glomerular filtration decline. So, the filtering capacity of your kidney declines, and in fact, it accelerates over time to the point where disease has progressed sufficiently that you lose your kidneys you need to go on dialysis or have a transplant so for this population of individuals there are very few therapeutic options spare tolvaptin and we see that it only really is applied in about five seven percent of individuals and so 90 ish percent of individuals have few therapeutic options other than blood pressure control drugs
0: Thank you so much for sharing. What is a typical time to diagnosis for these patients? It sounds pretty tricky to diagnose this. When patients first start having symptoms, would they notice? Is it just abdominal pain? Is there kind of any uh, edema or swelling due to the kidneys kind of not working properly? What symptoms do they go to their physicians with?
1: Great question. Typically, there are really two paths to a diagnosis. One would be that you have a family that has polycystic kidney disease in its history and so physicians are aware our ability to monitor genetics is much better than it was say 10 or 15 years ago so this is one of the paths typically a young child would have a physician who's alerted and monitors progression early in the progressive disease blood pressure rises and that's one of the very first symptoms in polycystic kidney disease but as you mentioned increasing kidney size Markers of kidney function that are decreasing, like creatinine levels being high, would lead to a diagnosis, an MRI or a CT scan or sonography that would identify cysts in the kidneys and or the liver and that would also be part of the criteria for diagnosing the disease.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much. And you mentioned earlier that there's one approved product out at the moment, and that's Otsuka's tolvaptan, and that's an oral vasopressin antagonist for the treatment. What are the limitations of that drug?
1: Often when drugs are introduced into the market, you see much more substantial exposure to patients. This drug, when it entered the market, started off very well it's largely embraced by the prescribing nephrologist population for individuals it has a side effect that involves the liver so liver toxicity issues it also has a number of listed side effects that patients have a hard time managing that combination of concern about liver toxicity and the side effect profile means it really hasn't been adopted as widely as would have been expected for such a high medical need. So that's limited its market. Nevertheless, it is being used in individuals with late-stage polycystic kidney disease, and many physicians, especially the physicians who participated in clinical trials to support the approval of the drug, tend to look to it as an important drug in this rare disease space.
0: And how will your asset So It's called XRX008, and you mentioned earlier that you're just going into phase three or close to going into phase threes. How will that drug overcome the risk-benefit
1: hurdles? Right. So- as would be expected, we've done an extensive amount of looking in existing databases and surveying publications. When we think about the diagnosed patient population in the US, it's about 160,000. In Europe, it's about 200,000 individuals worldwide. It's estimated to be perhaps as high as a million, million and a half individuals. So rare when you're talking about 7, 8 billion population. The approach and the discoveries that we've made over the last two years... Place the xanthine oxidase enzyme in the kidneys. And so when you think about how a cyst develops and how it grows, when your blood pressure is high, when certain hormones are driving the growth rate or the genesis rate of cysts, you can interfere with that process. So a vasopressin-2 antagonist would be expected to antagonize the rate of growth. And of course, that was how that drug was approved, Tolvaptin, because it slows the rise of total kidney volume in individuals with polycystic kidney disease. What we do know for our drug is a xanthane oxidase inhibitor, so inhibiting the xanthine oxidase enzyme, because we're now recognizing that circulating levels of xanthine oxidase in your blood, but more specifically, and we're now trying to chase this down in individuals with polycystic kidney disease, like we see in rats and mice, the increased expression of that enzyme in the kidneys locates very closely with other markers of injury in this disease so we think the xanthine oxidase enzyme is playing a role in the kidney we think it's playing a role in the circulation and so being able to inhibit it by 90 percent or more really is the way we're approaching the development of this therapy for this patient population for polycystic kidney disease There is good evidence that uric acid, when it's high, and that's the source of uric acid, the activity of xanthine oxidase, uric acid when it's high is closely related to larger kidneys, so total kidney volume and earlier failure of kidneys. So our activity is really try and suppress that accelerating effect of xanthine oxidase and uric acid in the circulation and in the tissue with this drug. And so turn off that process, remove that from the equation so individuals have a better quality of life. The progression of their kidney disease is slower. That ultimately, and our vision for this product is that when an individual starts on therapy, they could take the drug once a day, it's a tablet, for the rest of their life. That would slow the progression of their disease and the accelerating effect of of xanthine oxidase and uric acid sufficiently that that would keep them off dialysis for extended periods of time, seven, ten, We don't know, we haven't looked beyond a few years, but one would hope that that would change the quality of their life and the trajectory for their kidneys over extended periods of time.
0: Absolutely, because as as we all know, dialysis is such a burden on patients, you know, trying to live a life and having to go to, you know, the facilities two, three times a week to have those infusions. So really, really good job. Okay, so what are your plans going forward? commercialization activities and NDA filing. Where are you at with that and and what are your plans there?
1: We are in the short term in the next few months, very active with FDA discussions. We've applied for an orphan drug designation. So presented a fairly comprehensive package of evidence to the FDA Orphan Drug Designation Office with a request for this designation that verifies the science. It certifies the eligibility of this drug for this patient population. And we expect to hear sometime in the next few weeks, a first iteration. We may need to provide additional information or we may just get the grant of orphan drug designation. Both of those are great de risking steps for the program and and important steps as we move forward with respect to the type d meeting that we have coming up so it's a meeting that allows us to really discuss one key point with the fda and that is a we would like to look at the benefit of inhibiting xanthine oxidase on the progression rate of total kidney volume the fda guidance recently in 2022 states that total kidney volume can be used after a year or year and a half of treatment as an accelerated approval path for this drug, which means we would be able to provide it if they confirm for us the protocol we've submitted is acceptable or needs minor tweaks that would confirm for us that we have an accelerated approval path. Our design right now is that study would run for a year of treatment for individuals At that time, we would have a readout on the benefit on the rate at which total kidney volume is increasing with our drug. And that would then lead to an NDA filing for accelerated approval. Now, that's a partial approval, but it means you can go to market and you can market the drug for that benefit. So putting the drug in individuals' patients' hands sooner than later would be great. Our timeline looks like we could complete that trial by the end of 2025 and be filing the NDA around that time. With an accelerated approval that may be marketing the drug in 2026 and getting into the hands of individuals who desperately need more therapeutic options. So, very quick in it terms is. of yeah. getting a drug to market, because often we're, we talk about decades. And in our case, it's a few years.
0: yeah And as you say, these patients are desperately waiting. I'm sure we've yeah. waited breath to get their hands on this treatment. What about plans outside of the U.S.? You're thinking about uh, an early access program, maybe in Europe, looking at Germany, maybe as a launch start in the EU system?
1: We have been looking at that carefully. We are planning to run a parallel European process. The phase three clinical trial that we're setting up for right now includes recruiting sites in Europe and in North America, probably some Asia-specific sites as well, perhaps Australia and New Zealand. That should kick off this fall and then be fully underway in the next year. We've inquired with the European Medicines Agency with respect to our clinical protocol. And so we have been communicating. We have been working in behind the scenes to run a parallel process. In terms of orphan drug designation, after we have the U.S. orphan drug designation, then we turn our eyes to the European, Japanese, and other jurisdictions where there's also a substantial need.
0: Have you even thought about kind of your launch strategy within the EU, like what countries you'd kind of go to first, or is it a little bit too early to think about that yet?
1: We are doing our commercial assessments right now. Strategically, you know, we're a few years away, so there are a number of key activities that are are necessary, providing a commercial supply, understanding where the quickest path is, and certainly you know, trying to negotiate access, negotiate pricing, all of these things take time. We're just in the beginning steps uh, with respect to launch in Europe. We haven't made hard decisions at this point. It
0: sounds like a really busy and exciting time at of <laughs> therapeutics at the moment. We'll it is. It's planning. very
1: stimulating.
0: Yeah, I bet. <laughs> Finally, just to ask you, what are your corporate goals
1: and your key milestones for this year? Really, the orphan drug designation is a key milestone. The type D meeting and confirming that the accelerated approval path is available to the company is a key activity. We have quite a handful of interested pharmaceutical potential candidate partners in discussion. It would be great to have a significant licensing deal in this year. And we also see the kickoff of this phase three trial as an important milestone for the company. That's a lot of very busy work, but we're making good strides. And like I mentioned, in the next month or so, we'll have feedback with respect to the orphan drug designation and the accelerated approval. And we think that will really open the doors to kicking off that phase three and moving forward quickly.
0: Thank you so much. Sounds like you guys are doing a fantastic job. I'm really, really looking forward to seeing the fruition of your hard work. We'd love to have you back, Alan. Maybe this time next year, see where your company's at, see what's happened with the FDA, and see what your future plans are, maybe for the EU, if you'd be happy for that.
1: My pleasure. Yeah, that would be very welcome, and and certainly appreciate this opportunity as well. Thank you.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much.
1: My pleasure. Take care.
0: E4A, Let's Talk Rare. It's brought to you by Partners for Access. To find out more about Partners for Access and our commitment to sustainable orphan drug and selling gene therapy access, please visit our website, www.partnersforaccess.com. Make sure you search for Let's Talk Rare in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Partners for Access, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next month.